You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out. And kick all trouble out the door Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum And kick all trouble out the door Kick him 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 out the door Welcome to Radical Australia and Community Radio 3CR This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The world's greatest producer, Kelly Whitworth, is with us and she just touched the microphone with her hand. That wasn't very professional, Kelly. Oh, you heard that, did you? Yes. <laughs> did you hear it too, David? No. <laughs> no. Well, we have an extraordinary guest. Every guest is extraordinary. Mr. or is it Sir David Legg? Whatever. Whatever. Sir. I like that. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you, you wouldn't. You, you wouldn't have lived off other people's labour. You're a mister. No, no that's right. Actually a doctor. If it's Just actually a doctor if it's worth it. Oh, yeah, a doctorate in what? Medicine. you got a doctorate in medicine? Oh, so do I. What university? <laughs> university of Melbourne. Same here. What year did you get your doctorate? Uh, 1972. Is that... Is that a doctor or a Bachelor of Medicine, Bachelor of Surgery? Doctor. And, and, what, and, what, and what was your uh, field of interest in your doctorate? Oh, you don't want to know. Yes, I he do. He does. <laughs> it was rat livers. Yep, yep. And uh, yep. The, 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 what are the factors involved in um, the, the amazing regenerative capacity of the liver? Mm, mm, and looking mm. at that in, in rat livers. Well, it's a, it's a significant contribution to new knowledge, unlike a PhD, which is just a contribution to new knowledge. Okay. Yeah, that, that, no, that's the difference. Good. Okay. So now if we were in Germany, I'd have to call you Dr. Doctor. Or Dr. Professor or <laughs> Dr. Mister, whatever you wish. <laughs> You're not a surgeon, eh? No. Well, I won't call you Mister, will no. I? I mean, you're no barber, are you? <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't think people know what we're talking about. In the good old days, you know, the surgeons were the barbers. That's right. Yep. And we were the intellectuals. The the uh, the grocers. Yeah, we were the grocers. <laughs> we tasted the piss, and they cut you up. <laughs> David, what year were you born? Nineteen forty-four. Forty-four. You got any recollections as, as a young kid in primary school? Oh, oh, yeah. Um, I grew up in, um, after a period in, in the UK, I grew up in Greensboro mm-hmm. and 
That that'd be. It, it was it feels, feels feels feels. It was it was glorious. Mm. We used to disappear for the whole day mm-hmm. down the creek. Yep. Built uh, canoes to go yep. along yep. the creek. Yep. By folding in a piece of corrugated iron. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There. Uh, then at the end of the of the day, there'd be a loud call echoing across the hills, which mm. was my mum saying, yep. "Come yep. home for tea." Yeah, they didn't care, did they? No. No, it was the same in my, the same experience. As the, I was born a few years after you, but I had the same experience. I was born in, what, 51? Same experience. You yeah. piss off in the morning. Don't come back. Back. Don't come back. Mm. I'm too busy to look after you. Mm. you. Look after yourself. Did you do any yabbying down there? Yep. Not terribly successful, but a right. little bit of string, a little bit of meat. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm. And uh, did you think you were Tom Sawyer? I don't think so. You don't no, think so? No, I don't no. think I was all that self-conscious right. of who I was. I just was enjoying myself. Self. And mm. uh, had other little friends? Yeah. Uh, and how old was that? How old? Were you? Yeah. Oh, well, let's, let's say fr- from the early 50s, 51 yeah. through. So six or seven, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's extraordinary, isn't it, when people think about it, with helicopter parents these days. Mm. Well, it. people didn't have cars, so no. uh, there was no... No point in saying I'm going to drop your place. Mm-hmm. Um, no, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't go anywhere either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the difference. So, where'd you go in primary school? Where'd you go? What primary school? Greensboro. Obviously. State primary yeah. school. Yeah, yeah good I've, boy. I used to remember the number, uh-huh. but I've lost it for now. Uh, the number of the Greensboro primary school. It should be brand new in those days. Oh, no. It was Still old, wasn't 268 it? 268 or something. 268 or something. Uh-huh. Yep. It would be 2682. It wouldn't be 268, I can guarantee you that. Mm. Uh, the old-fashioned brick building. Yep. The um, asphalt quadrangle. Yep. Which you'd run around with the other kids and yep. scrape your knees. Yep. <laughs> I love talking to people of a similar vintage, you know, who have similar memories. Good on you, Joe. <laughs> did the... Not that I'm saying we're old. Did the teachers come out and whack you around the head occasionally? Um, I don't recall ever. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I do recall that uh, that if you rub peppercorn into your hands, mm-hmm. it um, it allegedly made the ruler less painful. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I only tested that a few times. Did you? So you're you're a goody two shoes. <laughs> not not entirely. No. No. <laughs> just just a different branch. Your parents were they born here or they came from overseas? Both born here. Born here, and their parents? Um, all but one of them born here. Born here, right. And uh, what type of work were they doing? Dad was a scientist. He was a biochemist, Jack Legg. Mm-hmm. His name is a biochemist at the University of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Gert um, was originally an actor, sometime comptometrist, mm-hmm. sometime housekeeper. Right, right. Housewife. Originally an actor. Yeah, she started out as an actor. Mm. So that's an unusual combination, an actor mm. and a scientist. It, um, it didn't work all that well, Joe. Right. Um, the, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting part of the story is that Jack was a, a communist mm-hmm. and um, at that stage he, I think, didn't think that... Um, um, 
the theatre was an appropriate place to be serious about your politics. All right. But there was the Red Theatre in the 50s. Yeah, but that was not his his view. Right. And this was a little earlier than the 50s. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Late 30s. Late 30s. Uh, did you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah. Yeah, I've got three brothers. Yeah, are they still alive? No, one's dead. Is there anything good you can say about the ones that are alive? We don't want you to defame them. Oh, they're most <laughs> unusual people. They're both, yeah, very brilliant and mm-hmm. unusual. Mm-hmm. How are they unusual? Oh. Well, you just can't say that and not answer it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <clears throat> I'll speak about my brother Nick, mm-hmm. who uh, I see quite a lot of. He and I are both active in the Rubicon Forest Protection Group, mm-hmm. which is a small community-based group up um, in Murrindindi trying to stop the destruction of the Central Highlands by Vic Forest and their loggers. And he originally trained as a, um, as a uh, forester and became a forestry academic for a while, but uh, is now a farmer. But he has put a huge amount of work into... Um, demonstrating week after week, month after month, year after year, the ways in which Vic Forest is allowed to get away with murder, um, mm-hmm. the way in which the um, the office of the chief regulator within the Department of the Environment um, st- bends over backwards to not prosecute, mm-hmm. to not implement the law as it's written, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm really very happy about the way Nick works. Right. Billy's a um, uh, musical sort of chap. He uh, he's very good on the squeeze box, and has a huge um, repertoire of um, uh, revolutionary and uh, folk songs and revolutionary mm. songs, mm. which he'll render at the drop of a hat. Right. Um, mm, that's good. Mm. And, and your, the brother who has died, what's, what was his name? John. John. John was a, an engineer come scientist, come author, whose passion in his last 20 years was, um, <clears throat> was demonstrating the... the the, the fallacy of contemporary neoclassical economics. Right. He was a, a mathematician and was very fond of a uh, another economist called Steve Keen. I don't know if you've come across Steve Keen's work, but mm-hmm. the the core issue there is that the macroeconomists, the classical neoclassical macroeconomists, create a series of of equations to describe the economy as if it is some sort of clockwork and they make no they are not able to make provision for money they don't recognize money as being a credit and debt as being an issue they make no provision for the externalities the costing of the externalities of capitalism they make no provision for um for the uncertainty and this guy Steve Keen um, uses complexity theory to model the uh, the economy as it really is mm-hmm. as a an emergent pattern 
And uh, John was a you know added to that f- to that field of work as in using complexity theory very mm. interestingly. Mm. Listening to you, David, it looks like the apple didn't fall far from the tree as far as your communist father was concerned. That's a reasonable way of putting it, yeah. Because mm. you've all got, got a radical tendency. Yeah, well, isn't that why I'm here? Isn't that what the program's about? Well, we don't know what what we know nothing about you, David. That's we've got to pretend. Okay. But that is it's interesting when you think about well, it. Isn't it's it? You must have had a huge influence on this. Yeah, both of them did. Yeah. But um, communism is very different now than it was then. Yes. yes. Or let's say radical. Mm. The um, the tradition in which they were brought up was. Um, a tradition which had some sort of confidence, a bit like the economists, that they knew the truth yes. about the way in which the world was going to evolve and yeah. the, the way in which the economy and social and, and yeah, society was going to evolve. And so they, um, um, that's a very different th- situation from yes. where we are now. Yeah, but, but again, there, there is this tendency to swim against the tide. In the family, oh, indeed, yeah, yeah. Well, you would hope one would. Oh well, uh, yes. well unfortunately, most don't. Yeah. <laughs> so, in your whole family, the whole lot of you, yes. swam against the tide. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, did you graduate to a Greensboro High School, or did you go somewhere else? I went to Eltham High for two years, and mm-hmm. then to University High yeah. for four years. Four years, and why University High? Were you one of these scholarship kids, or? Um, <clears throat> well, my dad was op- was working at the Melbourne Uni across the road. Right. And it was quite convenient. Mm. Um, no, I don't think I got a scholarship. No, right. And then when did you, what year did you enter medical school? It would have been 61 or 62, something 61. like that. Uh, why medicine? Um... I could tell you the truth or I could give you a spin you a story. Oh, whichever you like. <laughs> well, <laughs> truth doesn't really matter. In well, the... I got extremely good results mm-hmm. and um, there was an obligation to get, go into medicine or law or something really hard mm-hmm. if you get good results. That's right. Um, it, it, there, was no great, um, there was no great plan no, behind no, it. No. I think I would have been preferred to, be, to have gone into teaching, but I became a teacher, so that's fine. Right, so medicine. So when did you graduate? 68. 68. Oh, that's a great year to graduate. What was life like on campus in those days? Um, pretty exciting. The, uh, the, um, although the, the latter years of medicine is not, you're not really on campus. You're, uh, in the hospital, You're spending yeah. all your time in the hospital and you're mm. pretty busy. Uh, it's the earlier years when you're on campus, and those years were dominated by, you know, the usual things, listening to music and going to various things. But the um, the uh, the anti-hanging movement was a big one in those days, with Barry Jones leading it and a range of other very good folk um, who were. Um, yeah, organising against capital punishment mm-hmm. at that time and struggling against the uh, execution of Ronald Ryan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where were you placed as an intern? 
Royal Melbourne. Royal Melbourne. So what was that like in 69? Well, um, I wasn't terribly aware of my environment at that time. Mm. I became much more aware of it um, when I, as I was leaving. And uh, I, I started to, you know, towards the end of my period at the Royal Melbourne, I started to feel really quite uncomfortable about the disparities of power in the clinic, in the ward. Mm. The... <coughs> The, yeah, and the situation was was in those days was quite gross in yeah, terms of hierarchy, yeah. the disparities of power. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, I one of the f- earlier things I did after finishing my uh, specialty training was to um, set up an organisation called the Medical Consumers Association, right. which came into being just as um, Goff won in uh, December 72 and uh, there was an urgent need for pretty vigorous advocacy and Mm. mobilisation around uh, Medibank as it was then and around the community health program as it came out. So uh, that became quite a big part of my work. During that time. So did you have any association with the Doctors' Reform Society, which was quite big in those days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what was working with them like? Oh, they were all very decent people, um, very serious about mm. about their critique of the health system. Um, I was always a little bit ambivalent about the DRS because um, once you've named yourself in that way, you've excluded all the people who aren't doctors from joining you in that reform process. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the more I've worked in, as an activist, the more I'm really persuaded that uh, if you can't bring everyone along with you, you you probably won't make a big impact in terms of the reform process. Right. What was your association with the community health movement, the health centres which were being established, your particular the organisation you were founded? Um, well, there was a lot of different phases of activism in those days. The um, the uh, first of all, um, there was a, when as the community health program came out in. I think it might have been May or June Mm -hmm. 1973. Um, This was a little blue book saying the Commonwealth will give money if you set up a community health centre. It was that simple. You hold a public meeting. I was down here for those things. You hold a public meeting, get money. It was a way of bypassing and relieving pressure on the accident emergency departments. Well, Mm. um, there was a lot of community activism around setting up community health centres and uh, defending the whole idea of community health from the quite vicious attacks from the AMA. That's right. Um, of course, it's probably important to remember that the, um, uh, the, the, states, the, the, the states were largely opposed to, um, 
to the Whitlam program, mm. in particular um, Joe Bielke Peterson in Queensland, but also Balti in Victoria, yep. was intensely opposed. And there's a bit of a story there because um, this, this interesting guy, Manny Wilder, was the chief of the Hospital and Charities Commission in those days. And a little bit of background here is that the Hospital and Charities Commission was a little bit independent of George Rogan, who was the secretary, a DLP-style person, secretary of the health department, because the hospitals were all set up as incorporated bodies. But the hospital incorporation was based on the old, old charity model whereby a group of do-gooders from the ruling class get together largely to look after their servants if the servants get sick so they don't have to have a, mm. someone with, uh, sorry, someone with um, um, uh, cholera yep, living yep, in the family. The family. Yep, yep. So, um, so the management of our hospitals in those days was a committee of management elected by, quotes, the contributors. So it was a very class-oriented structure. But when the community health money came through in Victoria, many Wilder encouraged the community health centres to use this statute to set up community-controlled committees of management. So without... Um, uh, any dramatic new legislation, um, which wasn't going to happen given the, the Balti period, um, a whole series of new community health centres set up with their own association That's or, right. or mm. group of, of, of mm. so-called contributors, but yes. they're actually community people. No community people, That's right. And there were quite a few of these community health centres were actively set up either by existing community organisations or by sometimes Labor Party branch uh, groups got together to set them up. Yeah. And so one of the things I did, or the groups that I was working with did, was to set up an educational program for people who suddenly find themselves on a committee of management of a, um, uh, of a community health centre um, who might have been very enthusiastic about getting the, the thing off the ground yes. but might not be all that um, familiar with you know, the some of the uh, political and technical sides of their, the job they're taking yep. on. Mm-hmm. So we set up this group, this six-week or eight-week course, uh, you know, one night a week for eight weeks, Works. Mm-hmm. working through a number of topics on you know, prevention, community health promotion, mm. management, mm. Um, health system planning, those sort of things. Yeah, it was an extraordinary period. I was involved in that sector. It was an extraordinary time. Mm. And it was all about Commonwealth money, mm. bypassing the state apparatus. No wonder mm. Bjorki Peterson and Balti hated it because mm. it, it made them irrelevant. Mm. Because obviously, as you know, the state's supposedly responsible for uh, the public hospital system. Well, there's an interesting comparison between, mm. let's say, Victoria and uh, New South Wales because... Victoria had um, the opposition of Balti and the facilitation of Manny Wilder and we got community-controlled health centres. New South Wales had um, a Labor government who was only too happy to accept money from the Commonwealth and to set up things called community health services 
but which were part of the existing uh, bureaucratic structures yeah. of New South Wales Health. Mm. So the opportunities of um, building community engagement at that time were not nearly as strong as they had been in Victoria. Now, you, you mentioned in passing that you specialised. What did you specialise in? Oh, I became a physician. Inter- I specialised in internal medicine. Right, and, right. And uh, uh, taught for a while and practised for a while at the Austin Hospital. Mm-hmm. But... Um, when, when did you practice at the Austin Hospital? Uh, from the mid-1970s through to the early 1980s. I'm afraid we would have rubbed shoulders at some stage. Yeah. I would have been a junior <laughs> registrar. <laughs> I, yep. was, I was there from 77 to 82. Yeah, I was there then. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you probably didn't have the beard then. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, you did. And the long hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was mainly involved with the spinal unit in those days. Oh, right. So, yeah. Right. It's interesting, isn't it? We've got so many similarities. Mm. Mm. What do you think? Look, I've, I've meant to ask somebody this. Because I, I don't usually mix much in medical circles, and um, it, what did you think about the University of Melbourne turning a doctorate of medicine, a postgraduate degree, into a undergraduate degree to attract students from overseas? Um, what do I think about the University of Melbourne? Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> I um, just thought it was extraordinary. Yeah, but you know. It's there, there's you've got the option of who you blame for this sort of uh, abomination, as to whether it's the elitism which permeates the organisation or the neoliberalism which has restructured um, education and mm-hmm. uh, education mm-hmm. funding mm-hmm. Um, since the uh, mid to late nineteen seventies. So um, um, yeah, I. I, I, I I think that uh, it's, it might be more useful to focus on the latter. Later, yeah, I think, I think that's what it's about. It's about the neoliberal philosophy which now encompasses all the universities because mm. they're forced into that direction because of yeah. lack of funding. It's a very politi- political decision. The, um, the, the vindictiveness mm. of the Morrison government to not provide support to the universities during yeah. COVID... Yeah tells you something about the anti-intellectualism the anti mm. uh, of that uh, of that mm, political yeah. movement yeah. yeah common social change library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change it collects curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around australia and across the globe The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion, and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Commons Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So when you when you left the Austin, did you, did you continue medical practice or...? 
No, it's a long story. Uh, no, so. we've got another 25 minutes. Yeah. You've got plenty of time. <laughs> well, I, um, I was quite active in the um, ALP Health and Welfare Policy Committee at that time. Mm. And um, John Cain got elected in 1982 and then Hawke in 83. And we'd been talking... Um, uh, Tom Roper was the... First of all, the shadow minister, one of the best shadow ministers for health that I recall, and then a very good minister when he got the job. Um, but we'd been talking about there was quite a tension between in the planning for the new uh, restructure that he wanted to get, do between um, large regions with strong regional directors who can boss around the the hospitals mm. and force them to somehow fit into a, uh, a more systematic approach to um, healthcare delivery versus um, smaller organisations which might help to provide avenues for community input into, um, into the decision-making. Mm. And so um, the, the way in which that debate was resolved when Tom... Roper came to uh, become minister, was to set up eight large regions, three city and five rural regions, but to set up around 30 um, smaller organisations called district health councils, which would be um, uh, not delivering health care, mm-hmm. um, but would have a responsibility for contributing to planning, contributing to the accountability of the existing health system and contribute to um, to drive um, prevention activities, activities which looked at the causes of ill health mm-hmm. in their community and because they were not responsible for, um, for service delivery, they were able to... Um, to look uh, more systematically, look a bit more forward-looking at the ways in which um, the ways we live, work, play, mm-hmm. shape our health. Yes. Well, that's an extraordinary concept, isn't it, that <laughs> we're part of an environment. We're not, we're not actually outside that environmental constraints. It's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? We, we forget that. Is that are those organisations still existing, or did the Kennett regime no. get rid of them? No, there's a, it's a it's a very sad story, but it's it's a story worth telling because. Um, um, tell me if I'm giving you too many dates, but no, no, uh, no, 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 no. The um, four years before um, the Kane government came to power. Um, there was the there was a big declaration run by the um, World Health Organization and UNICEF called the Almirata Declaration on Primary Healthcare, which talked about the importance of community involvement in um, in in priority setting, in service delivery, in thinking about the causes of ill health, and um, the. The sadness, and interestingly, the, the Declaration of Almirata included reference to an earlier declaration by the United Nations General Assembly called A Call for a New Economic, International Economic Order, NIEO, a 
call for a new economic international order, which was the high point of third world optimism after the period of decolonisation. But um, just as this was happening, 74 with the new international economic order and 78 with the primary health care, um, the problem of stagflation was emerging in particularly in the uh, developed capitalist world. And there had been, and the, the debt trap was closing in on third world countries. Mm. So the background to the debt trap is worth remembering, which is to say that in 1973, the uh, oil producing countries increased the price of oil. They then received a lot of money they didn't know what to do with. So they gave it to the banks, and the banks went around the third world and the rich world, but trying to get rid of this money um, and lending it on at negative interest rates, effectively um, paying people from, mm. let's say, 1973 to 79, 80, paying people to take their money. And then, of course, with stagflation, um, Thatcher was elected in 1979 and uh, Reagan in 1980, and Thatcher led this slogan saying, fight inflation first. And just as they are now using, trying to create a recession in order to fight inflation, in those days the allegation was that it was all about a wage price spiral and therefore we had to create a recession in order to break the unions. Mm. But it wasn't just the unions they were trying to break. It was also they knew that if interest rates were were shot up, then the third world countries who had borrowed money or in Latin America the governments had guaranteed loans, mm. they would be caught with the debt yeah. crisis. And that's what happened. And that's what happened. And so mm. the relevance of that to the work of, that I was doing in, those, in the health department in those days, running these district health councils, is that um, Reagan raised interest rates to 20% in 1981 mm. and precipitated the debt crisis, but also precipitated the... Uh, well, he didn't precipitate, but as the interest rates were going up, Victoria and South, Austra South Australian Bank collapsed, Victorian State Bank collapsed, the Pyramid Building Society yeah, collapsed. I remember all that, yeah. The, um, and mm. the Keynes government was um, left with um, a, uh, a dreadful pickle. Yeah. And uh, you, the, the, the measure of how distressed the uh, government was at the time is that um, uh, Joan Kerner introduced gambling and yeah. allowed the pokies to expand mm. in order to um, increase the revenues That's right. of the state. Oh, it was a difficult period. So it was, yeah, it was a terribly difficult mm. period. So when did you leave the health department? In 1990. Right. So private practice after that? Or? No, I spent five years at the ANU. Um, oh, what? Teaching a bit, but mainly reading. I was at those days, I was doing a lot of reading about politics, about sociology, making sense. I left the health department in a state of um, 
of post-traumatic stress. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's like you went to a monastery. The yeah, ANU. yeah. I went to a monastery at the <laughs> ANU and loved it. Had a lovely yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a wife? Or yeah, she stayed at home in Melbourne. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I can't think of anything better. So I lived in a little monastic cell yes. filled with books and, and yeah. uh, I spent my time reading. Yeah. Any kids? Yeah, they were they were flying the coop long since, since then. So, yeah. well, I think it was a good arrangement you came to. Yeah. <laughs> monastic lifestyle. Did you learn anything? Yeah, learned a lot. Anything you'd like to impart to us? I mean, five years of reading, that's a lot of time. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to make sense of capitalism um, and uh, imperialism. And I spent a lot of time trying to um, get away from the linear thinking, which is, which is quite common in the left. Um, and trying to make sense of the uh, of modern social theory in terms of post structuralism and uh, post modernism and what it was all trying to say. Mm. Um, so I spent a lot of time on that that sort of stuff. And so after five years, well, after five years, it brings me to ninety five, and I came back to the to work at the Austin where I worked from ninety five through to. Let's say 2014. I'm still a, I'm still a, on you know, a voluntary member yeah. at at the, at the Trobe. No, that's that's 19 years. That's yeah, a, but I retired. I stopped getting paid in about 19 about 2012, something like that. Going on, yeah. So there were two main things I was doing from that time onwards. One of which was um, we we set up a. Um, a health services management program um, which was dedicated to working with Chinese universities around healthcare management. Um, and uh, this was a very interesting period in Chinese healthcare because um, in the mid-1990s, under the leadership of Jiang Zemin, um, there was a very strong tendency to borrow everything from the United States and um, uh, privatise, uh, basically. They, uh, the structures were not the same as we have them, but um, they, this period allowed the, um, the uh, medical profession to really get away and it's never been retrieved no. since then. Mm. So I was doing that, but the, then there's the. Um, let me just go back then to the um, to the um, um, the debt crisis because the debt crisis um, really hammered the um, the developing countries because they were forced to go to the IMF and the World Bank. For as lenders of last resort, when the the banks would no longer roll yeah, over there, and they wanted to introduce structural reform and structural commas, which structural is adjustment, adjustment yeah, which yeah, is, which is basically neoliberalism. Which and the structural adjustment which was imposed on the developing countries in the late nineteen eighties was unbelievably brutal. That's right, and undoubtedly had um, a huge impact on not just systems, food systems, health systems, but lives. Mm. Um, 
And in 1993, the World Bank chose to write a report trying to justify structural adjustment, trying to pretend that it was actually good for your health. Mm. And at that stage, I joined a an organisation called the International People's Health Council, which was um, trying to promote primary health care, trying to promote um, radical ideas in mm. relation to health, but particularly with a focus on developing mm. countries. Mm. And... Um, developing a pretty strong critique of the World Bank's uh, project. Um, and then in 2000, December 2000, we came together with a whole series of other international organisations to hold the first People's Health Assembly in Bangladesh. Um, we called it the People's Health Assembly because we were bouncing off the World Health Assembly and we were calling it the People's Health Assembly because the health WHO had promised health for all by the year 2000 mm-hmm. and in a slogan which was quite influential in the early 1980s. But um, by 1999, it hadn't happened. And so we, we organised this People's Health Assembly. We've now had f- five of them mm-hmm. and we're organising for the sixth in Colombia next year. Um, these are huge gatherings of um, health activists, health practitioners, largely from developing countries. Um, and over the time since then, that's working with that organisation, the People's Health Movement, has been my main. Uh, mm. Is it an honorary capacity or yes, right, organisational too? Yes. Mm. And theme? You've got a theme for the Colombian... Um... No, the, we'll be working across a broad range, range of themes. themes. Yeah. What type of themes? Um, one of the main themes will be, perhaps I should have said this first, the, one of the main themes will be um, the corporate violation of the right to health, mm-hmm. the, the corporate impunity in terms of the way in which neoliberal capitalism works, the structures of contemporary transnational capitalism and the way in which they protect uh, the depredations of the big corporations. Um, I'm, I'm sure you don't need examples, but the one the example... Oh, all, no, we always need examples. Well, the example which comes to mind is, the, uh, is Chevron in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Um, where um, it's a long story, but the essence of it is that the uh, an oil company spilt a lot of oil in um, indigenous lands, and the uh, environment department took them to court, and the Supreme Court of Ecuador um, determined they were guilty and, and required you know passed a fine on them. Mm. Um, but because Ecuador had signed one of these investor protection agreements, yep. which contains this thing called investor state dispute settlement, mm. Chevron was able to take Ecuador to court, not a, not a properly uh, constituted court, uh, uh, effectively an unaccountable court of, um, 
of um, yeah, private anyway. Yeah, and Ecuador was determined that it was Ecuador who'd broken the law, not Chevron. Right, right. And Ecuador was landed with this huge fine mm. for having um, had the temerity yep. to apply their own domestic environmental laws to Chevron. Mm. So, um, you know, the, this whole issue of, um, of the way in which contemporary capitalism is driving mm. the widening of inequality, driving the destruction of our environments, mm. um, is, is going to be a big issue yeah. at this People's Health Assembly. That's excellent. I mean, your life kind of reminds me of a, a statement Che Guevara made when he came off the uh, ship as the ships, you know, the, the doctor, the Argentinian doctor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah he, I know. You know what yeah. Say. yeah. He says, I came down the plank, you know, everybody was dead. I had a medical bag. I had a choice. I could pick up a medical bag or a machine gun. He said, I picked up the machine gun. They asked him why. He said, as a doctor, I can help a few individuals. With a machine gun, I could make a difference. So that seems to me a, a reflection of the way you've lived your life, not with a machine gun, but in terms of working uh, to better the lives of many people, not just the patients you interact with. Yeah, there's, there's a, a long line of... Um of medical people who have engaged actively in the politics of this sort of thing. And um, Salvador Allende is one, Che Guevara is another. The one I really enjoy reflecting on is Rudolf Virchow, who was a German pathologist who went into what is now part of Poland and made a report on the way in which typhus was decimating people, people living in abject poverty and wrote a very angry report. He was he was a revolutionary too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, don't worry about it. She's just putting up the time, just reminding me, you know. That's what producers do. Okay. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, because you're saying you've got six minutes, Joe. Get to the point, get to the point. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you can't talk to somebody about a life in 56 minutes, but you do your best. So, you got any plans for the future? You're not a young chicken anymore. Uh, very perceptive. Um, <laughs> I'm more noted for my perception. <laughs> the um, yeah, I'm uh, my my commitment is to the people's health movement and the some of the things that we're doing there. One of them is this: uh, we're setting up this thing called a people's tribunal um, on corporate violation of the right to health. But we also we run a uh, a teaching program, the International People's Health University, which is um, where people from, um, um, in particular developing countries, come, learn a little bit about the politics of health and so mm -hmm. on. Um, we've also got a project called WHO Watch where we use the, the discussions at WHO as a way of following the dynamics of global health policy um, and making, creating opportunities for grassroots people to speak to power um, in relation to those sort of global policy issues. Mm. Do you think things have improved in terms of being able to speak to power? Um, 
Or is it just much more difficult, much more convoluted these days? Um, Chairman Mao referred to capitalism as a paper tiger. No, Mm. imperialism as a paper paper tiger. tiger, And what he meant was that um, the structures of exploitation, of oppression, depend upon the acceptance um, of the stories they tell about themselves. And the delegitimation of those stories can lead to um, astonishingly speedy collapse and the delegitimation of the uh, Soviet regime in 1989 mm. led to a collapse which very few people foresaw because there was a, 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 a massive loss of perceived legitimacy. And so I'm not terribly keen on waving machine guns, but um, I do think there's a lot which we can do to uh, delegitimise Mm-hmm. the way in which this global system works. The problem is that you can delegitimise it um, and you can then turn right. And I think in many ways the Trumpian fascist um, has delegitimised the prevailing regime but has re- turn, turned to resolve to, to, um, to find succour in... Um, uh, shooting everybody yeah. in guns and protecting yourself and mm. going out in the woods and having, you know, yeah. like Survival these idiots in, in Queensland. Yeah. So um, with the delegitimation has to come a process of um, building solidarity, building listening, listening across difference, building collaboration across difference. Mm. Mm. And uh, if if we could make progress on those two sort of principles, then I'd be very optimistic about where we would take. Do you think we're making progress? It's too early to say. Too early to say. I like that. Like Michelangelo. It'll be ready when it's ready. <laughs> no, it was, it's a quote from Chu and Lai who was asked, what did he think of... Um, what did he think of... The, the effects of something. Of yeah, democracy or something yeah, like yeah. that. He said it's too early, early to, to say. say. That's right, yeah. So... What are you going to do? You going to go to Colombia? Yeah. Uh, and what's your position there? You'll be a delegate from Australia, or it's it's a little more informal than that. More informal than that. Is, is there any support from any other developing nations, sovereign nation states? Um, money support? Well, just support generally, you know, not just money. Not much. Not much. Not much. Right. Um, there's there's a few foundations. Right. Who provide support? Right. I don't think we've ever received government support. We oh, got a research project from the Canadians once. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, with the impending climate emergency and all the good work one of your brothers is doing, do you think that there's any future for humanity, or are you just wasting your time? It's too early to say. The, Too early to say. The, Thanks, the, Chair, Mr. Chow. The, the, um, um, we're living in a in an incredibly complex circumstance, and complexity is is another word for uncertainty. Mm. And uh, all you can do, I'm not willing to say um, we've, we've we've stuffed it because that then becomes a justification for pulling out. Yeah. So you, you have to maintain hope and some sort of faith in your political strategy. 
yeah. to, to keep going. Right. Yeah. I've been given a question here, but I've got to put on my glasses. Thank you, <laughs> Kelly. David on 3CR. Um, thanks, Kelly. <laughs> Many years ago, um, would have been in the uh, mid-1970s when I was working at the Austin, mm. um, I... We uh, we set up a, the health. A, we ran a health program, right? Uh, for 3CR, right. and uh, we ran that on a half hour basis per week for about five years, five something years. like that. Yeah. Then, then you saw the light and left. No, then I went. <laughs> I went. I went to uh, went to work for Tom Rober. Right. But um, um, I'm also happy to share with you that my dad also ran a program on 3CR. Really? Which was the science program. Mm-hmm. He ran uh, that ran for about five or six years, yeah. and my mum used to run a program on three CO. Oh my goodness! Which um, she it, it was called Coffee Talk or something like that. It was uh-huh. a, a chat show in the early in the mid morning. Right. What decade are we talking about, David? With the seventies, nineteen seventies, seventies into the eighties. Yeah. Both of them were, were still going into the eighties. Yeah. 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 Well, that's mm. extraordinary. Yeah. You haven't got a son called David Legg, have you? No. No, it's just that I know another David Legg. He used to be at 3CR. Uh, really? <laughs> yes. Same Goodness. spelling. Goodness. And he's involved in politics too. Yeah. No, I just wondered how. Because I, uh, when Kelly, look, I'm, I do no research because I, I feel that it's a better interview. <laughs> uh, and um, when Kelly mentioned the name, I thought you were this other David Legg, and obviously you're not. I might be. I'm not. Now, in the last minute or two, have you got any advice for anybody listening to this program who wants to embark, you know, on an activist kind of lifestyle, life? Um. Yeah. Um. It's 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 it it screams out for your creativity. We there's no right answers about how you. How you practice activism? Um, it's not just a matter of rocking up and saying, I, I, "Give me a job." Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to have your own analysis of of what you want to work on and your own set of strategies about how how you, your activism can make a difference. So, um, but I, I would say that it, it, Australia is quite. Um, um, what's the word? Quite parochial. Mm. We 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 generally don't recognise the that there's an outside world beyond our borders, and this is also true of many political activists. That the activism is is always local. Well, th- that's fine. It should be local, but um, if it's not um, th- thinking globally that's as well right. as acting locally, yeah. then um, you're pretty irrelevant. Yeah. And the thinking globally has to involve um, engaging with third world activists um, yes. and movements which are bigger than one country. That's right. Well, David, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. How old are you now? 80? 78. Oh, I'm 78. <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> when, you, when, when you get to 84, if I'm yeah. still alive and you're alive, please come back. I'm okay. sure you've got another interesting story to tell us but i think i think i think your story is is interesting because one you didn't go down the 
professional journey most doctors follow, but in the tradition of many radical doctors who've understood the role of prevention and community and the environment as far as health is concerned, you took that deviation. And I came to Melbourne in 1974 to study at the feet, I've forgotten the name of the professor as a third-year medical student, at Monash University in the Department of Social and Preventative Medicine, and he taught me a lot about how important it is, and uh, you've taught me a lot today. So uh, thank you very much for giving us your time and reflections and experiences. It's a great pleasure, Joe. Thank you. And thanks, Kelly. You're welcome. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.